This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, serving adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll need a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, and get this, it comes with a lifetime warranty. It's the pump we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's CyclePump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles, tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. Green Chili Adventure Gear is also the exclusive USA distributor for Outback Motor Tech, a Canadian company that specializes in high-quality protection for motorcycles. Visit them at www.greenchiliadv.com. Greenchiliadv.com. Hi, I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Brian Field. Justin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed Mark. Glenn Hickstead. Woody from Woody's Wheelworks. Bennett Smith. Gregory Frey. Dave Barr. Michelle Lampier. Tiff Nikos. Herbert Schwartz. Brett Tatt. Zoe Cannon. Nathan Millwall. Walter Colbert. Joe Rush. Crystal Boyer-Vajou. Lawrence Harkin. Jeremy Krieger. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Susan Johnson. Larry Clyde. Robert Wick. Spencer Conlon. Ted Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Lisa. Nita. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Dr. Greg Fraser has been described as America's number one motorcycle adventurer. He's an author, a motor journalist, a photographer, and a documentary filmmaker. And he's a motorcycle adventure junkie. He wrote the book Motorcycle Adventure about the first real adventure rider, Carl Stearns Clancy, who circumnavigated the globe on a Henderson motorcycle in 1912 and 1913. And he also has some secrets to share from his latest book here today on Adventure Rider Radio. He talks about the myths and untruth of motorcycle adventure and how the internet can give misinformation about which he says, never let the truth get in the way of a good adventure ride tale. Dr. Greg Fraser here. Now, Greg Fraser was on our original, I think it was our first episode that we did here. Greg, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. It's nice to hear you again. For those who don't know your story, how did you get into riding your motorcycle around the world? It was by accident. I, I was out uh, filming the 10 best highways in certain areas of the world, like the 10 best highways in the Alps, for instance or the 10 best highways in uh, North America. And these were uh, eventually molded into one-hour VHS films that we sold. And at the end of that project, somebody pointed out the fact that I had completely worked my way around the globe while filming those best highways. So it wasn't a plan to go around the world. It was a plan to hunt roads. And it was a byproduct that I'd ended up circling the, the globe while doing it. And that was by motorcycle? Yes. You know, it's interesting. It's the sign of the times because you just said that you went around the world basically looking for the best roads in the world. And, of course, now what they do is they look for the worst roads in the world. <laughs> or, the, or the worst countries or yeah, the worst exactly. cities. It's a, nobody looks for the best of anything anymore. Now they're, they're looking for the absolute worst. It was interesting. Uh, uh, of the 10 best highways we were able to matrix uh, and come up with, and oh, this was back in the 80s, uh, the, the Beartooth Highway was number 11. It didn't make the list of number 10. And I recently saw another survey that had come out, and the Beartooth Highway was now listed as number one. Oh, wow. uh, change, change in the times. The highways really haven't changed that much. It's people's perception of, of what's a good highway. How many times have you ridden around the world now? Uh, five. Five times. 
the same route? It couldn't have been the same route. No, each one was done differently and for uh, different reasons. And as I started on uh, number six, uh, I wanted it to be different from the previous five. That's really what motivated me was the opportunity to to uh, do something different than the previous five. I was approached by a fellow that I'd known for a while, and he said, hey, let's go around the world. And I said, well, I've already done it. And he said, think about it for a month and how you could do it differently than you've done the previous five. So we we conjured up a a plan that was to include uh, places like Cuba and Venezuela, which are no-go places uh, now, or well, Venezuela is anyway. But uh, the plan was to avoid what I call the, um, uh, the ugly spots. Uh, I said, I didn't want to go back to Cairo, Egypt, for instance, uh, on a motorcycle. And, uh, I wanted to avoid Mexico city. In fact, I wanted to avoid all of central America. And I, when I proposed the plan to him, I said, let's go to some nice places, uh, and avoid some of these ugly spots that I've been in. And he agreed. Is, do you think that's fair? The, the, you know, these places that you didn't have a good time in, do you, do you think they really are ugly for everyone? Uh, I tell you, being broken down in downtown Cairo in the middle of a 120 degree heat, uh, I, I don't know anybody would have any fun there. The same as uh, the jungles of Panama. It wasn't, uh, th- those weren't high points on my uh, travels. And I, I don't know who, who ha- marks those down as high points. I look at other factors of, of fun. Are you a medical doctor or what is your doctorate? I, I tell people that I, I have a PhD on survival of the roads of the world, uh, but I, I'm, I'm an economist by training. I see. Okay. So they're, they're not asking your, your help for medical uh, assistance or anything while you're traveling the world. You know, I've, I've done some medical work on the road. I, I had to reset my own uh, broken toes uh, one night in uh, Tasmania, um, the uh, anesthesiologist uh, wouldn't touch me, so I had to use uh, large quantities of uh, beer um, to uh, to set the toes. Uh, I uh, helped a guy in uh, Cambodia that had nearly bitten off his tongue when he went into a, a ditch. And, and I did some dental work in Vietnam uh, earlier this year. I cracked a tooth. The filling came out and the tooth cracked. And I didn't want uh, to go to a dentist in Vietnam. I'd seen them operating on the streets uh, in a chair uh, just on the sidewalk. So uh, I had to make my own uh, crown, which was uh, find some uh, epoxy and uh, make a patch that would hold the tooth together for the next two weeks until I got back to Thailand. And my good uh, dentist that's taken care of me there for many, many years. He looked in my mouth. He said, uh, where did this happen? I said, Vietnam. And he looked at the patch that I'd put over the tooth. He says, is that the kind of dental work they're doing in Vietnam now? <laughs> you know, that just brings up an interesting topic I'm going to have to think about for a future show. That We talk about broken bikes and things. What about fixing your dental work while you're abroad? Let's, well, first of all, you mentioned, you said you're, you're an economist. I mean, you've got to be a very practical thinker, obviously, to be an economist. I'm wondering if you don't see the world from a different point of view than most travelers. When I enter a country, let's say um, like uh, Vietnam, for instance, one of the key factors that I'm looking at is how is that economy uh, sustaining its growth or, uh, or non-growth in some cases? When you look at some countries like uh, Zimbabwe, for instance, it's just so out of control or Venezuela right now. Um, you look at uh, people like me, we look at the infrastructure, the cost of housing, the cost of fuel, the road system, uh, even uh, electric wires running through the, uh, uh, the trees. Uh, some countries don't have wires because they've never wired it for telephones or uh, – or television. Uh, it, it went directly from nothing into uh, cell towers. So uh, those are some of the things that I look at. Uh, change in money value, how much the dollar is worth compared to when I've been there before, or how much the dollar is worth per se in that country to buy things like fuel, a room, uh, and food. 
How about with the way you see culture and the way you see your experiences? Is that changed from an economist's point of view? I'm not really a good tourist. I'm not there to go out and watch people beat on the drums and the, and the sticks. I'm uh, a, a better traveler that is in pursuit of uh, some destination versus uh, I traveled with a, a lady one time in uh, several countries and she traveled by the Lonely Planet. If it said go to this factory and watch people make rugs, uh, it's their uh, primary export from that particular country. That's what she did. Or go to this uh, spa and enjoy the, uh, they called it Osan in uh, Japan. Uh, that was her priority, whereas my priority was look for the best road in, in Japan. So you're looking at it from a motorcycle perspective, really? Yeah, that's my number one priority is motorcycle and and uh, not necessarily uh, jump into the or, or become part of the culture. Um, I feel like in some of those countries, uh, the people uh, are in a, in a zoo to many of the tourists that are passing through. They're looking at them kind of like you'd look at the animals in a zoo. I would rather uh, ignore that and uh, just take them uh, per se, you know. How do you mean that? You mean that because uh, the tourist traps are set up for that? Or do you mean that because they're sort of stuck in their life and, and people are just walking through? Well, obviously, if if you're on a guided tour, the tour guide picks the the cultural things that they think best reflect the culture. So you go to this uh, dance show in Cuba one night or this uh, arts and crafts center to uh, get a view of the culture. I think when you're on your own... Uh, and you pass through the culture, you get a better taste of it. It's not a uh, an act or um, a, a show for you. We'd uh, talked about you focusing on motorcycles. You must have an opinion on the ultimate motorcycle. But do you have a favorite motorcycle? Not really. Uh, for what they call adventure riding today, I think... Uh, a friend of mine put it best. He said, it all takes place between your ears. Um, I think uh, the ultimate ad- adventure bike is like beauty in the eyes of the beholder. It's, it's what suits you. Adventure, just sticking the, uh, the label on a bike and calling it an adventure bike doesn't necessarily mean that a bike that doesn't have that ADV on it or is marketed as an adventure bike is superior or inferior to one that is marketed as an adventure bike. Uh, I just did uh, North America and South America on a 1983 Honda GL650, and uh, we had a good adventure, uh, Richard and I. Uh, but those are 1983 bikes, and they were nowhere near marketed as adventure bikes. But for us, we were riding the same roads the twenty to $30,000 KTM BMWs were. Um, in fact, uh, we, we passed a lot of them. Uh, we uh, just felt that the, those GL650s were something that could uh, show us at a far lesser price tag the element of uh, adventure that we were pursuing. Yeah, it's easy to get caught up in the whole uh, adventure market. I know you, you often see the, the bikes completely done up, and then you'll see another bike come along, like you're saying, you know, somebody riding a street bike, something that shouldn't be there. And uh, sure enough, they're in the exact same place. So it sort of makes you wonder, was all that money well spent, or I guess you could have taken that money and put it towards your adventure? But that's an option that you have. It's, it's one of my sponsors say, uh, too often people view themselves and go out and purchase uh, these uh, behemoth adventure bikes. They view themselves as something they're really not. They're buying into the marketing. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you can afford it. Uh, If it's a trade-off of how far you can go versus how much motorcycle you want, uh, I'd certainly look at the the trade-off on horsepower. I don't need 150 or 170 horsepower to, to... have an adventure on a motorcycle. I've had plenty on uh, motorcycles that are in the 40 horsepower range, and I can get in just as much trouble with that 40 horsepower motorcycle as I can with with one uh, that's got 190 horsepower. But 190 is a lot of fun, though, for a short period of time. 
<laughs> short you period. have to yeah. admit. <laughs> well, last year uh, I nominated and and selected as the number one adventure bike of of uh, 2015 uh, the HR. Uh, Kawasaki that came out of the box with 190 horsepower. Um, that's the bike that I think you could get the most looks at if you showed up in Ushuaia or you did the road of bones or you rode across Russia. Um, but uh, when they asked me if I wanted to try one, I said, well, what, what, what could I do different with the other 160 horsepower than I have on this, this bike that I'm using now? It's it's wasted horsepower on me, but I I think it would be a, a, a great fun. And there's guys that have circled the world on uh, Yamaha R1s, for instance. Uh, certainly isn't marketed as an adventure bike, but that's what they did with them. When we were talking about coming on today, you'd mentioned about the myths and untruths about motorcycle adventure. What did you mean by that? Well... I do a show, uh, I'll do it next uh, month up in Hood River, Oregon at the Rally in the Gorge uh, about the the last 103 years of adventure riding. And I dispel some of the myths, for instance. I'll ask the audience, who was the first guy to go around the world? And uh, surprisingly, uh, I I get a few hands to show me uh, that they they thought Charlie and Ewan were the first to go around the world. Um, Others uh, raise their hand and say, uh, Ted, uh, Simon was the first to go around the world. Uh, and uh, Ted and I are acquaintances, and I've told Ted that uh, he wasn't even a sperm uh, when the first guy went around the world. But uh, Ted at the time thought he was the first, and he, he promoted that. I'm the first guy. But uh, since then, he's learned that there were many that had gone around the world before him um, on uh, much uh, older equipment, 1932. For instance, uh, uh, saw uh, um, Robert uh, Fulton Jr. use uh, Douglas uh, to circle the globe. Uh, 1912, 1913 was the first official uh, rider that went around the world. And he used a uh, Henderson motorcycle, four-cylinder inline, which had no front brake. So uh, that, that's one of the myths is who was the first. Uh, another myth was that women weren't doing much riding back in the early part of the century. I recently discovered a uh, uh, August uh, 25, 1914 publication that talked about Rachel and her daughter, Julia Avery, who were in Belgium at the time that the uh, First World War broke out. And they were riding around uh, Europe uh, with a Harley Davidson and a sidecar that was confiscated by the army. Uh, in the same article, uh, uh, there was a short clip about a uh, Della Crew, a Miss Della Crew, who uh, had decided that uh, she was uh, going to have to change her plans for her around-the-world trip on her Harley-Davidson and uh, was going to go North America and South America. And hopefully after she completed South America, the war in Europe would be over. So uh, women have been out there on motorcycles doing uh, – what the boys were doing long before others uh, who, who became more popular uh, were noted. So the myth that the ladies weren't out there, I think, uh, uh, is uh, a myth. I think the first time a guy threw a leg over a motorcycle, the, the girlfriend, wife, uh, or sister uh, wanted to do the same thing. The early ones, and you wrote a book about it, Carl Stearns Clancy? Yes, Carl Sternstein. Right. He was uh, sponsored by the Henderson Company. There were actually two of them that left together from uh, Penn Station in New York uh, to uh, Dublin. And um, they ended up in Paris uh, in early November, which is not when you want to be riding around Europe. It's wintertime. It's cold. It's wet. And the other guy gave up and headed back to the States. And Clancy went on uh, to follow the route. So it was a planned route. He was selling dealerships uh, as he went around the world. So he was sponsored by Henderson. He sold a dealership in Paris, for instance, an order for 100 Hendersons. Uh, and interestingly enough, after his 11-month trip, he, he wrote in a, a, a second book we were able to chase down called The Gasoline Tramp that uh, he had left with $270 and he came back with $200. 
after 11 months. <laughs> so he, he did pretty well. Wow. Now, the Henderson motorcycle, describe that, what he was riding then. Uh, it was a uh, four-cylinder inline chain drive, one gear. Uh, you look at it from the side, and it looks like it's got a tank shifter like the Harley and the Indians did, but that's really a hand clutch that eases the clutch in or out and puts it in, in gear. So his, his speed, top speed, was probably, uh, uh, I don't think, much more than 35 miles an hour, although it was over 1,300 cc's. It, it only cranked up seven horsepower, um, no front brake, and uh, it would run on uh, uh, petrol, gasoline that could find as he worked his way around the world. Part of his plan was to go across India. Cars had done it ahead of time. This is in 1912, 1913, but the cars carried their own gas, and he had to scrub his plan for India because when he was about to enter India, they said there's no gas to be sold. Other places, he was able to buy gas in cans at uh, like a gro uh, like a general store. Do you know how far he would get on his tank? No, I don't know how far he would get on his tank. I, I, I don't remember him often uh, referencing running out of gas. And he only used uh, two sets of tires in that trip. He, he did 18,000 miles on the ground uh, over the 11-month period. Um, Wow. So it was, it was quite, a, quite an accomplishment for a 21-year-old man. He, uh, he, he wrote in his book um, or in his, in his travel reports, he said, I left a boy and when I came back, I was a man. That's interesting from just from the bike perspective because we just talked about, you know, the ultimate adventure bike. And, and nowadays, there's so many things people think you require for the adventure bike. If you were to ride that bike, maybe not you, but if the average person was to get on that Henderson right now and try and ride around the world, it would probably be days before it's shoved to the side of the road and said, forget it. I'm not getting on that thing again. Uh, well, it depends on what they're used to. That bike uh, had a, a rigid frame, so uh, no rear suspension. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of into the old stuff myself. Uh, last year, my uh, one one of my highlights was uh, doing um, the jungles of uh, Thailand on a uh, 50 year old 50 cc Vespa, which. Uh, uh, it, well, it, it certainly wasn't marketed as an adventure bike, but uh, and, and its top speed wasn't much more than about 50. But I was on uh, tracks, uh, elephant trails, and it was it was fine for that. Uh, I think uh, a 1912 Henderson uh, today could go around the world. Uh, I know where there's one uh, sitting. They only made about 15 or 20. Uh, in in 1912, and and uh, the National Motorcycle Museum out in Anamosa, Iowa, has one of them in a glass box. And uh, it, the price of the motorcycle is probably if you if you had to buy that one, I don't think you could get away with paying less than a quarter of a million dollars. Um, but uh, so it's either that or the BMW GS. <laughs> no, <laughs> or the or the KTM or, exactly. or or the Africa Twin, but uh, uh, the old stuff you could fix yourself. Clancy talks about have a uh, connecting rod made in uh, Spain. Guy hammered it out, you know, forged it and and babbitted it and, and got it in his engine. Uh, today, uh, you. You uh, throw a rod at your BMW, and they they throw away the engine, and for about ten grand or whatever it is, yeah, ten twelve grand, they'll just put a new engine in it. Yeah, I just mean that when you look at the uh, technology of what that bike, what the old Henderson would have been like compared to what everybody's riding now and thinking they need to go around the world. The Henderson, as you mentioned, no rear suspension. The tires would be, you know, totally subpar to what they are nowadays. Everything about the experience, although it would be amazing to ride the bike, everything about that experience would be completely different from any modern bike, even from the 80s. But yet they were doing it. People were riding them around the world. Granted, at the time, it was the latest, greatest, I'm sure. Uh. The following year in 1913, 1914, Clancy got back in 1913. He left in 1912 in October, and 11 months later, he, he was back in New York. But um, in 1913, uh, a couple from uh, San Diego, California, uh, went from San Diego to New York on their 
um, sidecar uh, with a Henderson motorcycle pulling it, Gertrude and uh, Leroy Snodgrass. It took them three and a half months to go from San Diego to uh, New York. And um, they left in March and got to New York uh, in September. But um, that, again, was a Henderson motorcycle. There wasn't a whole lot of difference between that 1913 Henderson they were using and the 1912 Henderson that um, Clancy used. Still the seven-horsepower four-cylinder. Uh, <laughs> well, it just meant low compression, and it would run on any kind of gas. <laughs> Coming up next, we're going to get some secrets from Dr. G's new book, Down and Out and Patagonia. Stay with us. We'll be right back. So I'm going through my emails and I see the Aerostitch email that comes out every week with the promos, et cetera, in it. And I I open it up. Oh, and by the way, if you're not getting those emails from Aerostitch, you should be. Drop by their website, www.aerostitch.com forward slash ARR. Remember to use that forward slash ARR so they know it came from Adventure Rider Radio. Sign up for their email list and you'll just get that weekly email. And it's great because it's got their sales in it. It's got um, new products that they have, events coming up. It's really quite good. But anyway, so I'm looking at the uh, email and it's got at the top of the list of things for this week was stash and storage. Well, I'm interested in stash and storage. I mean, I love that sort of stuff. As a matter of fact, Aerostitch is really good at this too. You have to know this because I have a, a set of, I've told you about before, the 81 pants. They came with a stash belt. And at first I thought, oh, stash belt, I'm not going to use that. I don't know. It seems kind of gimmicky. It's small and I don't know. But when I got it, I was really surprised at how slick it was. It's a, it's a thin belt, but it's got a fine zipper on the back that you open up and you can fold up bills or any sort of paper, put it inside. And when you zipper it closed, like you really do not know what this thing is. It just looks like a belt, buns with the pants. So I use it. Don't tell anybody I use it, but I mean, it's really slick. Very, very nice. So anyway, so I'm interested in stash and storage and I click on it and what do I see at the top of the page, but Greg Frazier stash pockets. That's right. Greg Frazier, same guy that we're talking to on this episode. And I thought, well, how appropriate for this show. I don't want to spoil it for you, but this stash setup is extremely good. And when you see it, you're going to know immediately why it probably never gets found. And you don't have to be a world traveler for it either. You don't have to be on a world tour. I think this thing is, is a good setup. Even if you're just traveling around, you want something out of sight. It's like whether it's your paper or maybe a bit of cash that you keep in for an emergency, whatever it is. I don't want to spoil it for you. Just go to the website, www.arrowstitch.com forward slash ARR, and then type in the search bar, Greg Fraser. And I just did this just now a few minutes ago. And, and you'll see two results it comes up with, which is really appropriate for this episode because the one result is the stash pockets that I'm talking about, which you've got to see. And the other one is Greg's latest book, Down and Out in Patagonia. So I thought that was, that was kind of good. So you should get those same two results if you search for that. And remember, anytime you're dealing with Aerostage or anybody else we talk about on the show, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Your latest book out is called Down and Out in Patagonia. Tell us about that book. Uh, that book uh, gives away some of the secrets that um, I've coveted over the years about how I, I managed to do five loops around the globe. It was a, a project by Motor Books, and they're the largest motor book publisher in the world. They've been in business for 50 years, and they, they wanted me to explain how I did those five different trips and, and how they were different. Uh, I, I didn't go out on any of the trips and come back and sit down and write a book about that trip per se, because I, I do things differently than the other people do. But um, uh, this is a collection of uh, how those five trips uh, were started and completed. You refer to yourself as a motorcycle adventure junkie. What is that? Well, that, that's because I've got to have a fix. Uh, I finish an adventure and I'm already planning the next. You know, where am I, where am I going to go next? What am I going to do? How am I going to pay for it? And it's been uh, 40 years as a pursuit. Uh, it's an addiction. Even uh, as we sit here talking uh, now, uh, I'm headed for the Mexican border this week. And that, that's been on my calendar ever since I got in this office and started to work a couple of weeks ago. Well, what is it about it? Why do you want to travel? Why do you want to get on your bike and go somewhere different? 
it's the uh, the challenge of being able to accomplish something on your own without uh, the benefit of uh, uh, a safety net for one. Um, you you uh, you could you could say it's a risk junkie or, or an adrenaline junkie has the same priorities. Uh, they're looking for that um, adventure. Um, and, and there's some tricks that I explain in my book, uh, um, as well as anybody who asks. They ask, how do I do this? Well, like a junkie, you get your fix and, and you enjoy the adventure. But uh, uh, at the end, uh, you're thinking about, okay, how, how am I going to get my next fix? What's my next adventure? And some of the uh, tricks are uh, you have to cut down your overhead if you if you've got a, a mortgage and a new car and car payments and a couple of kids in college and you're working as a, a working stiff uh, at the lumber yard, uh, you're not going to be able to go out and make a, a long adventure. You might have a weekend adventure, but uh, it's certainly not going to be an ongoing uh, adventure of, of any substantial length of time. How do you get rid of the kids? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> no, they're priorities. I don't have a wife and I don't have any kids. I don't have a dog. I don't have a cat and I don't have a mortgage. My newest uh, car is a, is a 77 Monte Carlo, um, which gets 10 miles to a gallon and stays parked uh, 11 months out of the year. So uh, it's, it's priorities. Uh, get rid of the overhead uh, so that uh, what you do make, uh, you can set some aside for your adventure. And I always try to it's only happened to me once where it didn't work. I always try to budget uh, by saving before I go out so that I don't have to be a beggar while I'm on the road or a dirt bag uh, that's uh, trying to uh, feed off the bottom. I, I like to know that I'm going to not end up in the middle of Africa again uh, with no money. The uh, other things that I don't make a priority of is uh, – blogging, the internet, web uh, uh, maintenance, uh, Twitter. Uh, I think a lot of people put that as a priority, how many uh, hits they can get uh, on their uh, ride report. It's not a priority for me. Uh, I do it, but usually as a secondary or third uh, priority. Uh, my, my priority is movement and safely. And the other thing that I, t I tell people where they they spend a lot of money uh, is don't don't become uh, GPS dependent. Paper maps are cheap, and GPSs tend to uh, get lost, wet, quit. Uh, I was with a fellow a couple of months ago, and the second day out of the shoot, uh, his GPS started acting up and and would would lock up on him. And he was a, a techie, a guy that had that GPS right, right in front of his face. And he was really disappointed when it quit. It just, it just locked up on him. And I told him that not to worry next day, we'd find a hardware store and we'd solve the problem. And he said, well, they can fix my GPS at the hardware store. And I said, no, we can buy a shovel and bury it. But those are expensive uh, tools that paper map has always uh, served me as well. Well, let's look at the bike, because you mentioned that you're into riding older bikes. You mentioned about the Vespa and the Honda that you've ridden around on your last adventure. Do you have to be a mechanic to be able to ride an older bike? Because obviously this is a huge money savings. You can get an older bike, very inexpensive, uh, you know, maybe it, under $1,000, but let's say up to a couple of thousand dollars, as opposed to a new bike for, you know, depending on what you're shopping for, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000. Do you have to be a mechanic to ride that old bike? No, I think you've got to have some basic skills. You. I believe you should know how to change a f or fix a flat tire. Um, same with uh, chain and sprockets if you're using that kind of a, a drivetrain. The electrics, uh, depending on how far back you go, uh, I'll be the first to admit I'm not uh, electrical smart. All I know is that when the wires touch, blue smoke comes out. Uh, and that's not good. Nah, that's not good, <laughs> especially when you're 150 miles from anywhere. But the newer bikes, I can't. I I'm out of the game. Um, I don't. I don't carry a computer that's smart enough to tell me what's wrong with it when it quits. You know, when the ECU dies on your BMW, 
uh, outside of, uh, um, say, Watson Lake uh, up in Canada or even uh, even my home state, Montana um, or Wyoming. Uh, it's a long trailer ride uh, to the repair shop, and it's nothing you can fix by the side of the road. That doesn't mean that the older bikes can be fixed by the side of the road, but um, – let me give you an example. My buddy's uh, rotor on his uh, 1996. Now, that's a that's not a really old bike. It's the same rotor they've been using uh, since 1970, 71 in the BMWs. Uh, his broke. Uh, most of us uh, that ride those that vintage bike, we carry a spare rotor and the bolt that's needed to fix it because we know it's going to go bad. And, and it's not hard to, to fix. In his case, He's not mechanically inclined. Give him a screwdriver, and he, he's not sure if they're a pair of pliers. Um, but uh, uh, that fix could be done with a car battery and two long pieces of wire. You have the same ha- problem with your modern motorcycle. It quits. It's not charging. The battery's dead. You've got to have a computer to plug in and tell you, well, you know, what part of the system isn't working, and then you've got to find the part. Uh, you can't fix that one by the side of the road with a battery and a couple of wires. So back to your basic question, I think mechanical skills and electrical skills uh, uh, contribute to significantly to your ability to uh, move under your own um, ability. Where do you think the, the biggest expenses are, at least in your experience, for traveling around the world? So you're talking about saving money, and what I'm trying to get here is how can the listener do the same trip save money by following some of your steps. So what are the, some of the big things that save money? Uh, well, I can tell you a couple that you have no control over at all, and that's transport costs, whether it's fuel or uh, shipping across water. Um, those are just uh, and visa costs. Uh, where you can save money is uh, where you eat and what you eat uh, and what you consume uh, in the way of uh, um imbibing at the end of the evening, end of the day, um, alcohol is expensive. Uh, cups of coffee can be awfully expensive. In Switzerland, a plate of spaghetti bolognese and a cola, uh, last time I was there, cost $25 in a restaurant. Um, as I traveled through Japan, I spent a lot of time eating at 7-Elevens where they have hot water and they sell soup in a cup versus going into a restaurant. Jap- Japan is very expensive to travel in. Uh, so you you can save money on what you eat and where you sleep. Uh, you want a Hilton or you want a one-star, two-star hotel. Uh, that can provide a significant savings. Uh, and obviously, your choice up front of motorcycle, helmet, riding gear, panniers, accessories, they all, uh, there's options that are less expensive than others. And it doesn't mean that the Equipment is any better. Um, an, an $800 pannier system is uh, just as good, I think, as a $2,000 pannier system. Is It's because what you're saying is it's about the travel. It's about traveling. It's not so much about the gear that you've got with you or the accommodations you're staying in. For me, it's the movement. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a good tourist. I don't get into a town and spend the next five days looking at the, or, or checking off the list that's uh, in the lonely planet of things I should do while I'm in a city. Uh, I can do that on the internet back in my office. I would rather move. And so my priority is on, on moving. So when you're going somewhere, what are you looking for? Like, like how do you decide on what route you're taking? Uh, how much time I've got, how much money I've got, and then what's there that's attractive. That's what I mean. Like, so you're researching the area, you're finding what the attractions are and deciding whether you want to go see them and what else there is. Well, no, I, like I said, on, the, on this sixth trip that I'm doing around the world right now, what we did is look at a map of the world and I said, okay, these are, these are the, the places I, I don't want to go again. They have you know, horrible traffic, for instance, or high import tax, which makes everything expensive, or just getting the motorcycle into the country. Uh, where I have to post a bond and go through a bunch of paperwork with customs and then do the same when I go to exit the country. All that's downtime dealing with paperwork makes it less attractive if movement is your priority. 
That's an interesting uh, theme for a trip to make sure you avoid places. But what I, I was going to ask is, do all your trips have themes? Do you, do you decide that, okay, this trip is about this? No. <laughs> Obviously, the, the first trip around the world didn't have a theme about the trip. It well, no, it did. You had, a, you had to find the best roads theme. That was a theme. Well, I, w- I was looking. Yeah, but I was in the business of making films then. Now I, I no longer produce films, and I'm more into uh, uh, the environment, looking at the uh, economy and the movement through the, uh, through the country or the, or the part of the world that I'm in. Less... Uh, uh, Hey, I'm going to be the first guy to ride around the world without a carnet, uh, or uh, uh, as, as one guy said, I'm going to be the first guy to ride around the world with the same pair of underwear. Uh, I, I saw. I think the first guy, by the way, to go around the world with, with without any underwear or with one pair of underwear was uh, Carl Stearns Clancy. If if you look at what he carried on his bike back in 1912. It was a pack sack on the back luggage rack. And in that pack sack, he had a typewriter and a camera. And most of the pictures that are shown of him uh, was wearing a coat and tie. That was the uh, um, the high zoot arrow stitch uh, uh, adventure gear of the era was a coat and tie. Uh, where he carried uh, all the other junk that I carry. I don't know, but it certainly didn't look like he had a lot of room for extra underwear. Perhaps he's buying as he goes. <laughs> I want to assume that. <laughs> I don't want to think less of I met, him. I, I met one guy that was on a Guinness record to, to go around the world in 33 days. and I, I asked him about underwear. He said, I don't wear any. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't let him bring his all-leather suit into my office. I made him <laughs> hang it outside. So what about themes? You don't pick a theme for your trips? Do you, do you think it's worthwhile to do it? No, not really. Uh, although uh, this last, the trip that we're on now, we call it the uh, great around-the-world motorcycle adventure rally, just to give it, what do you call it, a web, a web name? This is something that uh, somebody could put into Google, Great American Around the World Adventure Rally, and they end up on our very weak, uh, limited, uh, not daily posts um, blog spot. And we have a, have a little fun with it that way. Well, for those people who do those, you know, the, the extensive posting, it's great. I mean, it's not my style of, of traveling around, but it's great for a lot of us who, who want to read uh, stories about adventures we may never take. And that's one of the great things, I mean, even about, uh, of course, about buying adventure books like the ones that you've produced is that, you know, you get to be a bit of an armchair adventurer for it. So I think there's a real place for that. But I mean, I, I know that uh, there's the danger of worrying too much about social presence, internet, updating, all that sort of thing while you're out on an adventure. And, and when I was asking about an adventure, about a theme, I was really re- referring to, like, not so much, you know, getting a, say, we're going to break a Guinness World Record, but more of, you know, this one is about finding remote places with no hydro. You know, this one's about finding ghost towns or something like that. I personally don't have those themes, but I know people that do. One of my buddies uh, went to South America trying to find buildings that uh, were sanding 100 years earlier. And he'd done his research to find pictures of buildings in certain cities of South America uh, 100 years ago. And he and his wife jumped on their motorcycle. And that was their focus was to get to Santiago, Chile and find this church, for instance. Um, that they'd found in a in a, in a, uh, a magazine or a book. Well, that, that that has its place. What's next for you? Oh, uh, the end of the week, I should be uh, down along the Mexican border uh, here in the United States, where there's no fence. Uh, Trump hasn't built it yet. Um, but uh, well, there is a fence. It's a it's a three link barbed wire fence. But uh, I'm researching uh, the trails that the coyotes use to bring the illegals into the United States once they've gotten over the fence. And they're pretty obvious in some places, but I'm, I'm chasing those trails, hoping that I don't, I don't get shot at again like I did the first time I did this. Uh, last time I, I took a motorcycle that was very, very quiet. And unbeknownst to me, I snuck up on some of the uh, illegals that were uh, 
hiding out for the day to their surprise. And uh, uh, this time I'm taking a motorcycle that's got a louder exhaust pipe so they hear me coming. <laughs> now, this, is, this is a theme, but, but um, why are you doing that? I don't mean the loud exhaust pipe. I get that. Uh, out of curiosity, uh, do the uh, trails follow uh, like uh, a creek bed uh, or do they go across a mountaintop, uh, a mountain ridge or they're not really mountains. They're a hilltop ridge. What is the uh, uh, thinking behind using this particular trail that, that came into uh, the United States? I'll go up them. I don't know how far, but uh, some of them are pretty easy, easy walks or they're, they're flat and they're out through the desert. Uh, others are uh, uh, designed to uh, throw off anybody that's following them. Uh, but it, it, it's just something that I want to uh, uh, explore. I, I read about it a lot, and I've seen them before. Uh, and you, you, you'll see some of the, uh, the resting stops where there'll be uh, gallon containers that held water, I mean, like milk containers, uh, where they stopped and got rid of those and then moved on. And outside of Tucson, there used to be a a group that uh, would actually go out and put water at those known stops so that the um, people wouldn't die of, uh, of uh, dehydration as they came up. So it's, it's an interesting uh, little bit off, off obviously off pavement, uh, but uh, uh, with a, a lightweight bike, motorcycle. I don't want to be doing it on a horse. I hate horses. And uh, to do it in a car or a truck, uh, I can't do it. So the motorcycle is my, my best choice. Back to what I was saying, though, that's a theme trip. Will you write about it at the end? Is that the purpose of it? I don't know. I haven't pitched it to any magazines. Uh, um, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll write a story about it. Maybe not. I don't know. That's a sign. Well, it's got to be one of the signs of somebody who is a motorcycle adventure junkie. <laughs> <laughs> you're going out and you're doing this stuff with no reason at all. Uh, <laughs> I'm just feeding the addiction. Um, back to my schedule. Uh, after that, uh, I'm in uh, Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, Oregon, and Washington. Uh, most of the month of August, uh, um, just poking around. Um, no... Uh, Really, no, no plan other than to be at the rally in the gorge, August twenty seventh, up in uh, uh, the Hood River, Oregon area, uh, for the rally that's put on by a group called Sound Rider. Uh, they've asked me to do my one hour show on one hundred and three years of adventure riding, um, and I also tell people, hey, if you got a good story, a tall tale come to the rally and tell it to me. It may end up in print someday. And as my uh, colleague out of California, a very well-known journalist says, and don't let the truth get in the way of a good tale. <laughs> yes, I, I know that saying. I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the truth. <laughs> What's the date on the rally you're going to? August 27th is, well, I think it's the 25th, 6th, seventh and then they go home on sunday the 28th i want to wish my uh uh followers that 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 listen to your podcasts uh like in south america the guy that the night before he met me he had been listening to that one we'd done on packing oh yeah and uh then the next day uh he was asked to to come meet this this guy that was going to be up at the motorcycle training school and, and the guy turned and he said Hey, I was just last night just listening to you talk on the radio. <laughs> and that was in Quito, Colombia. <laughs> Neat. So what do you want to say to them? I want to say uh, thanks. Keep listening and uh, make sure you come up and, and talk to me when you uh, see me on the road. I, I'm uh, really a low-key guy and uh, I don't have to turn my head sideways to go through the doors. Well, Dr. Greg Fraser, great to have you on. Great to talk to you again. All right. And uh, just to make uh, uh, one final point here, uh, I, I'm not going for the Guinness record to be the first guy to go around the world with no underwear or one pair of underwear. I carry enough for a couple of weeks. I've been speaking with Dr. Greg W. Fraser, world traveler and author. And you can find his books, I, I think, at most bookstores. Check Amazon online. 
This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, serving adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bee Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll need a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, and get this, it comes with a lifetime warranty. It's the pump we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's CyclePump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles, tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. Green Chili Adventure Gear is also the exclusive USA distributor for Outback Motor Tech, a Canadian company that specializes in high-quality protection for motorcycles. Visit them at www.greenchiliadv.com, greenchiliadv.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. And, of course, we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Thanks for listening. My name's Jim Martin. Now, no excuses. Time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe. See you next week. Hey, wait. Before you go, if you like what you hear, you want to keep the show coming to you for free, consider dropping by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, and clicking on the Donate button. Any amount over 10 bucks is going to get you a gift shot back at you in the mail. And it's built on a model of advertisements plus donations to make the show work. So your help is greatly appreciated. Drop by the website, click on the donate button. Thanks. Have a great ride. Hi, I'm Valerie Thompson, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 